From 1965 to 1980, a generation was born on this planet into a world they didn't create. This generation promptly experienced video games, VCRs, and the chicken nugget. Today, still remembered through movies and music, that generation thrives as middle-aged men and women. If you are bored, if you want to learn something new about something you already know, and if you can stand them, then maybe you should listen to The Latchkey Files. Okay, and welcome to today's episode. We're going to be talking about something that I'm actually very excited. I'm going to be a little bit more of the audience here because I don't know very much about this topic. I know the general sense of it. We're going to be talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I was very young when this was popular, and my, my aunt used to babysit me. My aunt was very, very religious, and I love my aunt, but she was very, very religious, so she wouldn't let me even talk about the game. I remember that because I had her daughter who was uh, older than I um, was wanting to play it. And I remember she said like, no talk of it. It's, it's satanic. It's witchcraft. There's suicide involved. People are playing this and they're committing murders, pornography. It's race. I mean, everything that you want to bundle um, is what I believed from an early age is what this game was about. Uh, now that we're 40 years removed from it and then some, um, I, I want to know more about it, Coach. I want to know sure. what, what this game is. Well, to start with what you talked about, the panic, this was a real phenomenon. This wasn't just you and your aunt. This was a, a very real thing. So, some, you know, stuff happens in the world, and sometimes it's tragic for reasons unconnected for what the panic ends up being about. Uh, one of them in 1979, so this would be for you. I was two. Yeah, yeah, so this would have been the start of this panic. A guy named James Dallas Egbert III, he was a student at Michigan State University, he just up and disappeared. Uh, this, the family hired a private investigator to find him, and this private investigator got it into his head that Dungeons & Dragons was the cause. In 79, Dungeons & Dragons would have been a thing still. Still in its infancy, but it would have been a thing. So eventually, this guy was found in the subterranean tunnels. Like the oh, I remember tunnels. hearing that, that it was. Yeah. They believe that there was like a, a, a different version of the game being played some, down there. Weird. Okay, he had, he had done some self harm down there, and uh, this the sad part of the story. The, the guy Egbert, he killed himself in 1980. So he never really recovered. He was. He suffered from depression. He had drug addiction. He had a lot of problems. But this, you think that this was an easy blame? They, they very much. I mean, people started to use this as, you see, the see what D&D does for you. I mean, it even became known as the steam tunnel incident. This is interesting because it reminds me a little bit of like Ozzy Osbourne when he came out sure. with his, you know, let's I, blame everything, you know. Heavy metal rock and this roll. Is, I mean, yeah. you go all the way back Elvis and that's just don't shoot him below the waist. Like, right. I mean, there were there's moral panics about a lot of things. This was the current one. Wow. I mean, it got so involved it the, the incident prompted a bunch of fictional works novels and, and stuff the most famous being you, I, you might have even heard of this uh, a novel and that was later turned to a movie called mazes and monsters 1982 with tom hanks a very young 26 year old tom <laughs> now hanks i have never his... seen it so can you explain okay, to people that so... have not seen it Mazes and Monsters. So Tom Hanks, as a as a younger man, looked even younger than that, right? You guys remember Big. He was very. He was always a young looking guy plays, yeah. until Philadelphia. In this movie, he's 26. This is, by the way, his first leading role. 
So when you, you look at his filmography of leading roles, this would top the list. Um, not a great movie. If you go by you know that IMDb rating system, it's got 4.1. Oh, wow. And if you go by Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 19%. So a little is, lower than Forrest Gump. not good. A little lower than Forrest Gump. Yep, this is not his best work. <laughs> but essentially, it's a group of three friends who play, I mean, they call it Mazes and Monsters, but I mean, come on. They're playing D&D. They just didn't call it that. And Tom Hanks's character gets a little too into it. He's just, he really starts to dive into the, the fiction. And I think... Chris Makepeace, who I think was in My Bodyguard. I think that's who the same kid was. Oh, wow. He's in it. And the, the gaming group, Tom Hanks' character says, why don't we play in this cave system that I know of? So they went out of the house. They go to a cave system to play. Right. And they set up little pretend skeletons, like from the Halloween store or whatever, to just sort of make it more immersive. Wow. Well, but this leads Hanks' character into some fantasy where he can't escape. and In his own head. In his own mind. Okay. And I, he starts, they do a weird thing in the movie where you see his point of view, where a person turns into a monster, so he can't, and it's, it's 1982, you know. Monster, yeah, those are, not those great. are quality. <laughs> it's not, it's not, you know, Carpenter's You could, thing. you could still it's see the not, string hanging with yeah, the bat. The zipper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Tom Hanks' character eventually can no longer distinguish fantasy from reality, and he wants to go to New York City and throw himself off the World Trade Center. Wow. And so, but good news, I guess, they stop him from killing himself, but he never mentally recovers. I think the movie ends with him in a sanitarium, mumbling, you know, D&D. I kind of feel like that is, that could be, that could be a good story. I feel like, you know, if if they remade that now, but, but less cheesy. It's so unsubtle. It is, it is just a kick in the face. So this was a big time, this was a big time phenomenon. You, you were, you were, you were playing Dungeons and Dragons around this time. 82 would have been like right in the prime of. So did, did you, when you saw, did you watch the Tom Hanks? I I saw Maze and Monsters. And did you think twice about playing? uh, So it didn't work. Because I knew where I was. The propaganda didn't work. I, I didn't, in no sense. See, that was the funny thing. If you were a player of the game, I don't know how to put this, it was as if saying, hey, do you think a football player would see the entire world as one big football game? Uh, No, Hmm. because they know what practice is, and they know when they're going to it when they're not. I mean, of all the people that can separate football from non-football, maybe the player would be the best guy to do that. So a person playing D&D is very aware they're playing. Because there's books. And you have You're to not use hypnotized your into this. Right. I didn't wander through middle school thinking that my teacher was an ogre with eight hit dice. There she is. You know, Looking right at roll, me. I got a roll to hit armor class zero. You know. Well, let me ask you a question. Because you were, how old were you in 82 then? In 82, let's see. That would have been um, 14. Okay. So you were just starting high school right around there. Right. So was it a thing when you were, when people knew you were playing this game? Did people say, hey, uh, Watch yourself. You know what I mean? Was there a tongue-in-cheek? Oh, was there right. actually really concern? Did, did teachers say that you shouldn't play that because... Well, okay, good question. This was still very cloistered. This was not a, this was not a thing you'd go up to your, to your ninth-grade teacher or your eighth-grade teacher and say, hey, Mr. Phelps, we play Dungeons & Dragons. Do you want to play with it? You just you didn't. You sort of had this radar where, nope, this is still quite nerdy. We're going we're gonna to keep this to ourselves a little bit. 
But I do remember the panic being on the periphery, like hearing about it. And one of the rule books that they had, they sort of unwisely made the artwork a titanic red demon. Ooh. But that's not a there that's it is. great. Um, so, you know, as a player, I could look and go, yeah, I guess I kind of see it. But as a, also as a player said, right, but I know that's not real because I know it has a stat block here where I know it's numbers. Like, I know the numbers of that. It, it, one could argue that that could be mentioned in any of these sort of Ozzy Osbourne or right. Marilyn Manson for Columba is like the person listening to it. Like, the av- let's just say the average person realizes that they're listening to just a song or playing right. just a game or right. whatever. I mean, you know, or, or video games. The video game violence that comes from that is very much similar to the idea of what Nobody you're talking about. Nobody dressed up as Street Fighter. I don't remember. Well, up. not unless yeah. it was Halloween. And, and only moving sideways. Right. Yeah, watch this. Uh, so it, no, it's it just seemed like a, a reoccurring theme that let's just uh, the true panic for the sense of it, right? And we're in the what we're in the early eighties. Yeah, this we're no shortage of more things to be morally panicked about. That's true. I mean, it's not as if we had to. Well, this uh, is also hot off the trail of you know you realize if you look at the history in the late sixties to uh, early to mid seventies, we've kind of fallen away from the sort of, uh, Christianity that was popular in Eisenhower's fifties, right. right. but there was that revival in the late seventies. Right. And so this is right there. So this could be perceived as the antithesis to this movement with the televangelists. I well, mean, that's this is what ended up happening. I mean, we have the, the James Dallas Egbert story. There's another guy, Irving Lee pulling in 1982, Another D and D player. This so this guy was a D and D. So he actually played the game. Yeah, and he he unfortunately, sadly, he committed suicide, and his mother. Okay, it's got to be D and D. Absolutely, is that. So now here's here's the thing that we could talk about. The mother claimed that the school principal, who ran the D and D game that the kid was in, so just like a club, they had a club D and D. Hang that one for a second. Okay. Let's, let's we'll talk about that in a second claimed that because in the game world, the principal, through the mechanics of the game, must have cursed the son's character. The mother felt that was real. You really did curse my son, for real. So is that is that a component of the game? You can curse somebody? Yes and like no. The, you, if I'm a character, can I curse another? Is there a cursing yes. spell? Okay. Bestow curse is a spell. I'm... Help me out there, audience. I think it's a third-level cleric spell, but you'd have to look it up for me. Yes, bestow curse is a thing you can Those do. Those of you who are listening that are still living at home. Look in your books. Look, go look in the um, player's Ask handbook. your mom if she kept your handbook. The She's PhD, downstairs. as we call it in the biz. <laughs> um, so there's someone out there screaming, no, it's not third-level cleric. Damn it, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, turn this off. <laughs> so, and tried to sue him, principal, Tried to sue TSR, which was the game company that published. That the court threw it out. Like this is ridiculous. You can't cur- you can't sue someone for cursing your son. But mother is still dogged on this. She forms bad B A D D. Bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. Wow, I mean, it really was just about Dungeons and Dragons. It's a, yeah, okay. literally in the title. It's in the uh, acronym. She forms this in '93. She gets evangelical support, and here we go. We're in we're in full blown panic mode. And this is right at the same time Mazes and Monsters is out. Wow. So this is a perfect storm of things that are happening that are coming after you and your friends. Those guys who remember Mazes and Monsters, how many of you remember the other anti-D&D movie? Okay, pay attention to this, folks. Skullduggery. 
You know what? I I don't remember seeing it, but I know what you're talking about. Not the Burt Reynolds one. Okay, that's that's a good one, too. I know. There are two movies named Skullduggery, (laughs) if you can believe it. One is a 1970s Burt Reynolds movie. That is not the one we're talking about. This is a 1983 movie called Skullduggery that's anti-D&D. Weirdly enough, the actress Wendy Crewson is in both. So she's typecast. That's if we're going to make yeah, a bad really Dungeons niche, and Dragons yeah. spinoff if movie. We're making an anti D&D movie. That is you. Get on the phone to Cruzen. <laughs> um, now, it holds an even lower IMDb rating at 2.5. Wow. And is claiming a 7% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's still even worse. You know, the odd part is both of you still beat Mac and me. I'd like to point well, that well, out. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I mean, reviewer quotes of Skullduggery are things like, Pointless beyond comprehension. Wow. And an intellectual and artistic sinkhole. So <sighs> wow. Not good. That's sort of beside the point. The point was that they got made at all. So like you said, we are in full-blown panic mode right now. And it's not just D&D. I think, I can't remember the, the dates, but the McMartin preschool case oh, was happening right. at roughly the same time. Yep. That satanic ritual abuse, or at least that's the That was a big push. I mean, I remember it still in the early 90s. But looking back, this this whole sort of, I don't know, rumors, whatever you want to call it, that there were just pockets of Satanists all around the United States that were infiltrating music and movies and schools. and. Well, when is is Osborne really at his biggest? When does he do the stunt where he bites the head off? Well, that's all early 80s, but it it would be Suicide Suicide Solutions was a song that apparently this this kid was listening to, Mm -hmm. the record, and then he took his own life with a gun. And so they went after, you know, him for the same. So this is all happening. And wasn't at the, the same thing time. about playing the, the record backwards? Well, that one, if the the thing was, if you listen to the lyric, there's a part in it where you kind of Ozzy's sort of whispering, and it, and the the guy who was one of the prosecutors that brought the case was convinced that if you listen to it, you can actually hear Ozzy say, "Shoot, shoot, shoot, get a gun, shoot, shoot," I like see. just. Um, so I don't know. People here, they see what they want. I mean, if you're cut on this case, you're worried. We've got new technology. We've got Walkman. Yeah. Kids are listening to music that nobody knows what they're listening to. Oh, the Walkman. I mean, this is all happening at the same time. So you can see how these parents, you know, felt like they were losing control. Feeling as if they're losing control Absolutely. of their kid. Yeah. But if, if you feel like you're losing control of your kid, you have to lose control of him or her to something. And that something was Satan. Which is now you're now we're to the Drew Car- we're, Drew Carvey. We're getting back here. Uh, um, Satan. Oh, that's you know, the, the church, church lady. lady. Yeah, church lady. Everything somehow oh, yeah. comes back to Satan. So that's which was the around big, the same time. That's around <laughs> the same. This is the big satanic panic that enveloped D and D, and it was real. And I do remember, as a as a player of the game, it, it was in the periphery of my head. Like we heard about stuff. But me and the rest of my the players I played with just shook it off as that's that's. Would crazy. you equate it to playing a video game with you and your friends, in a similar sense? I, I actually I I think I would not. Okay. It, there really isn't an analog, and I think that's why this was so and still is so big. It 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 filled a niche that really nothing else filled. I guess the absolute closest I could come up with would be if you could somehow fuse improvisational theater with monopoly okay where there's rules there's very specific rules for what things happen and how come they happen but they're all based on improvisation i'll give you an example you said you don't know the game very well if we were playing right now and i were 
the what's called the DM, which is short for Dungeon Master. The the, the game is very big on epic titles. Okay. I will I will happily admit that. But the the Dungeon Master is the one that has sort of set up the milieu. Has set up the here's the game world. Here's what's going on in it. And you player are you're a hero within that world. So it might be all right. You are attempting to cross the bridge, but there's a vicious orc with an iron broadsword on the other side, and he snarls and menaces you. What do you do? And then you tell me what you do. Do I have options, or do I freelance it? You literally can tell me anything you'd like. Okay, let me ask you a question. Can we go back just a second? Sure. The characters, do I have different options, or do I create my own character? In the D&D world, there are rules for creation, so you make decisions. So I can't just be the hat or the car or whatever in Monopoly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny you bring that up. Kind of yes, though. Oh, if, mm. if each one of those tokens represented a class. So if you said, well, I want to play a guy who's a, who's a burly fighter. Okay, we have rules for making that. I want to play this sort of scrawny wizard who's bookish and knows a lot of magic spells. Okay, we have a thing for that. I want to play this other thing. Eventually, you might come up with something. Uh, I don't know if we have rules for that. But by and large, whatever option you're likely to come up with, I'm going to find a page in the book that says, yeah, here's how you do it. Okay, so I have my character. I'm at your house Friday night. We're rolling dice. We're rolling, well. Am I I in costume at this point? I did never get into that. But some people do, right? I I knew people that did. Yeah, I never went that far. So did they look at you like you're not a truist? You're not? Probably. Oh, you're not even even wearing a costume. This guy doesn't care about D&D. The same way that (laughs) a, a sports fan you got to wear a jersey, or you're not a and, fan. But then the face painters look at those people as, you know, posers. Yeah, well, so. this guy's not committed. Yeah. Got to be 110%. The guy that as a full Viking, you know. <laughs> so there's layers, okay. I'm sure. All right. I did not reach that layer. And to, frankly, I, I don't know the demographics on this. I would doubt that's the majority of the player base. I could be wrong. I don't know. But at some point, you as character would say, I, my guy does this. Or if you wanted to get really into it, you would adopt the voice and mannerisms. Different players do it Did do, do people actually that you played with, did they have a voice like, ooh, I'm Merlin Often, or something to that And that, that would extent? be the job of the referee, the DM. So I could have said, oh, this vicious orc at the end of the bridge snarls at you. Or I could adopt some strange voice. Oh, you want to pass, do you? Whatever I'm doing. Now, you sound like you actually made voices back in the day. I'm, I'm guessing here. Um, Am I shooting from the hip? I remember. I I, I still run a D&D campaign now. Okay. And yes, I do voices now, but only enough to sort of distinguish one from another. That makes sense. I don't, I don't, I don't like practice in front of a mirror and go, I really got to get this guy down. <laughs> Hold on. It's not there yet. It's not there. But enough <laughs> so that if I'm speaking as, you know, barkeep, Laszlo Krubs, he's got a vocal style so that when they hear that style, I don't have to keep reintroducing it's the bartender again. They go, yeah, I recognize that voice. Got it. And I'm nowhere near as good as some voice actors that do this. And, really? Oh, I would imagine this can get as extreme as you want it to. One of the helps of it is if I have my character voice, hello, Gov, what's, what's your poison then? Well, now you know that's the bartender speaking. If I speak in my voice, you know it's me speaking about some game mechanic. Interesting. I can say, oh, by the way, roll a die 20. And you know it, it, the bartender didn't say that. I said that. So, yeah, it's, it's improv in the sense of you're going to tell me what you do, but based on what you tell me, there's probably a rule or a chart somewhere that will adjudicate what happens. So neither of us know what's going to happen. Really? So it is I'm going to go, kinda... I charge him with my sword and try and stab him. Neither of us knows the result of that. 
roll the big dice, we're going to check the charts, based on your character's abilities, based on the monster's abilities, we're going to see what happens based on that. So if I'm more of a wizard type character, then I wouldn't want to charge with a sword because my character, that's not his... Right. You know, be weak at that. By the same point, if I'm a swordsman or cavalier, I... I right. You might not actually even have that ability. Um, and that's the D&D system. And there's a lot of abstraction. You have something called hit points, which represents your health, and sort of have to abstract that a little bit. You take eight hits of damage. What does that mean? Well, we have to sort of narrate that a little bit. It, so to me, a lot it, of to me it almost sounds like you're putting on a play, but you don't have a written script. Yes. But you have rules for how the script's going to come out, but nobody knows what the result's going to be. So even though I charge the orc on the bridge and I brandish my sword and shout at him because I'm trying to get him scared. Oh, you're trying to scare him? Okay, we have a whole different thing for that. Wow. Scare, that's a skill you might have, and you roll and see if he gets scared. So we know how to do what you're doing, but we don't know the result until we all roll and see. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Could you right now go to, I don't know, you get stuck in Ohio for the night, and you, mm-hmm. I don't know if this would ever come up. You're at a bar, and you hear some guys talking about playing D&D, and you said, hey, I'm looking for some action. Can you jump in on that game, and then you can universally play with people you don't know? Yes and if no. If you started the game yeah. fresh. Like, you yeah, couldn't, yeah. I could see you couldn't jump in on an existing game that's several months in. Now, that makes sense to me, but if you... Is it universal in terms of the understanding of I, I, rules and gameplay? Yeah. Oh, that? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Now, there are homebrew. I want you to imagine a, it's like a poker game. Could you enter one mid-game? Yeah, if they allowed you. If they allowed you, right. But I want you to also imagine instead of four suits and 52 cards, there's 38 suits and 28,000 cards. Okay, so, so it's a little more difficult. The options are much broader, <laughs> but there still is a rule framework. Okay. But they might also have done something they call homebrew, which is I'm adjusting the rules as such because I prefer them to be this way. And the game system encourages that. You know what's funny is there was a cartoon. Do you remember the cartoon Dungeons & Dragons? Okay, so I remember that. I remember watching that on Saturday mornings, which has nothing to do with whatever we talked about now. But that was some little kids go on a carnival ride and they get transported back to Dungeons & Dragons world. So I thought being a little kid and having the only exposure – about the game being this cartoon, I thought that it was like that. Like I really didn't know. So I'm actually oh, learning right. a lot, and I'm sure some people that are listening are kind of like, oh, I didn't I The didn't reason know it gets the knock it does as far as nerdiness and geekiness is the rule set's kind of arcane. Like, there's thick books with lots of rules, and it's, it's, it's not literally, I'm going to charge the, the monster and hit him with my sword so I kill him. No, no, the so I kill him part is part of the rules. Do you or don't you? And how much, you know, how many hit points of damage do you do? What does that do to him? And do you have a plus two sword or not? That's where it gets, you know, the people talk about it being nerdy wow. and geeky and so on. But it's no more nerdy or geeky than someone who's really interested in baseball stats might be. No, that, that actually makes perfect sense. You know, when, a, when an announcer says, he's actually, you know, three for four against left-handed pitchers on Tuesday when it's a light drizzle. Yeah, that's a remarkably arcane <laughs> piece of knowledge, but it happens to apply here. It's very much like that in the game system. And if the referee, the, the DM, which would be me in this fictional example, if I know them well, you don't necessarily need to know them very well. Have you ever had people get in a fight or an argument during a game? Like, they didn't like how it went. They didn't like you. It like, Monopoly usually ends up with somebody flipping the board over and screaming <laughs> yes. and saying, what the hell, I'm out of here. I will never play this again. 
At four in the morning. Not, I have not had fights at the way I've run it because it's 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 hard to explain why that wouldn't happen. But I ha I'll, I'll answer it this way. I'll answer what I have had happen. When you do a good job as storyteller, as DM, referee, whatever the game system calls it, you'll have an emotional impact on your players. And if you've introduced something called an NPC, non-player character, so you're playing a character, the other people at the table are all playing characters, but me, referee, in my, my little world that I've invented, I'm inserting other people, extras, you know, extra people into the game system. Your friend, who I've invented for you, or your sidekick, who joined you at the beginning. If I need to kill that guy off, for story reasons, you're going to be emotionally affected if I've done my job. Wow. I've had people cry. Really? It's, it's not a great feeling because you don't want to make people cry, but you realize, I just did Damn, that. I'm really good here. Like, I made you cry over a non-existent person that I invented. Wow. Or you can make people feel triumph if some long-lost person comes back or... You've set up a challenge deep into the system, and it takes months for them to achieve this challenge, and they finally do. There can be there triumphs can be a lot of, and tragedy. A lot of, well, you know, John Farver, the director and writer, credits. He was a, apparently a big D&D &D player. And, he really is, yes. Yeah, he credited that with sort of allowing his creativity to flow. So, I mean, I, I think it sounds fun. Now, I don't want to go fully into it, but I am curious. When you mm -hmm. say that there's these rules – Yes. Where did this all start? Like, who? Oh, yeah. Who do we... well, that's a huge question. Well, that's what I figured. You, if you could sum it up, just I'm just curious where, who got together and said we're going to do this? And yeah, how does a thing like rules? this get started? Yeah. I mean, you might think, well, this would be theater people, right? And that's a good guess. Yeah. It turns out it was war gamers, guys that had little miniatures, sort of like we talked about army men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, imagine that on a grand scale, and with rules like your army man can move this far and his pistol can only reach this far. So instead of just total theater of your imagination, you and your friends had said, we're going to play army men, but we're going to do it in a structured, rule-based way. Interesting. And it's grown people. It's not, it's not kids. It's grown men. The two guys that started it were named Gary Gygax and Jeff Perrin, and we're going to get a third guy in in just a second. So they're miniature war gamers. I don't mean they are miniature. Right. They, they, they play people. this. They're... Played with me. Do they have regular jobs? I'm just curious. Do, do you know what their jobs uh, were? Gygax was a cobbler. Okay, like that actually sounds perfect. That sounds like amazing. a medieval. Like a he was he was cobbling some shoes and <laughs> came up with this game. They cobbled this thing. Together. <laughs> so they're playing their little game and um, with their little army men and rules. And for some reason or another, they decided to codify the rules like yeah we know them all but let's like write it down and make a pamphlet so they made this thing in 1971 called Chainmail. that was the name of the game hmm. it was the, the rule book for how you play war game miniatures wouldn't have been noteworthy because there were a bunch of other pamphlets out there the only thing that made it noteworthy was they added a 14 page fantasy supplement so they added this thing in the back like oh and if you want to play army men, except one of your army men is a wizard, here's how you do that. That was new. Hmm. The idea of a fantasy supplement to wargaming. They drew heavily on Tolkien. So the Lord of the Rings stuff, very heavy influence on how this started. Uh, so a guy named Dave Arneson had adapted those rules to like a fantasy world that he called Blackmore. Went and saw Gygax in 72 and showed him, hey, look what I've done with your rule system. Gygax is impressed, expands that system even further. So they just keep building on each other. They take their eight 
15 pages of handwritten notes and turn them into a 50-page game. Wow. So now the rule book's starting to get substantial. He makes a world he calls Castle Greyhawk. He play tests it with his family. He and Arneson decide, let's actually write this out. And that's when Dungeons & Dragons is born. So they just slowly evolved it from wargaming. Um, they couldn't find a publisher when they first did it. So they made their own company called Tactical Studies Rules, which later just became TSR. And by 1974, their first quarter sales for the both of them put together was $106.40. So it was not an immediate success. Didn't, yeah, didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't break they, any records. They plugged away at it. Um, by 1977, they made the decision, you know what, maybe we shouldn't just be aiming this at war gamers. Maybe we should broaden our approach. Aim this at just ordinary people who want to play this thing we've invented. So now they got to write it a little bit more accessible. It's got to be. Oh, so they revised it at this point. Yeah, they okay. re they're revising it now. And now it's finally the Dungeons and Dragons basic set. Like, here's what you need to dive into this if you've never heard of it before. Then they go to advanced Dungeons and Dragons, just more rules on top of the rules they've already got. Now we're in 77 to 79. So it's just rolling. Now it's rolling. Now it's getting somewhere. And this is me in middle school. Wow. This is right down my alley. I remember distinctly in 1978 at Christmas getting the core rule books. I find it like I don't – there's no internet at this time. Like how, no, did, how no, did this obscure no. game no. take over – you know, how did you at, right. at, at, at that age – your parents to, to fight like how did it get the the promotion right without with this negative stuff that that it's right on its heel like yeah the negative hadn't happened yet because it's not popular enough to get any negative attention yet so it's right in the sweet spot of it's got the attention of people who want to find it but not so not much with the critics that the public is going to attack it yet i mean it's going to come soon uh, i think for me it was i had other people at school had played it or I had played with them and said, this is fascinating because I'm a big reader. But reading, you're following the narrative of the story. There's no point where you can say, but I wanted this other thing to happen. So too bad. Whatever is on the page is what happens. But D&D &D is whatever, not whatever you want to have happen happens, but you can influence this and move this. Sounds like there's no limits to your imagination of what you want your character to do within the confines of the rules of, of whatever the game. the game world has been set up. Yes. So it it has both advantages of it is grounded in whatever reality they've set up. It's not so free form. Like if remember when you were a kid you might have played, well, we called it at the time Cowboys and Indians. Oh yeah. And looking back it was a horrible game. Let's throw that out for now. <laughs> or cops and robbers, sure. right? And you'd make your finger into a gun. And pew, pew, pew. I got you. No, you didn't. And the game would fall apart. Like, well, but how do we decide whether or not you got me? Like, I, just by whoever shouts loudest? You know, cops and robbers was you running around with your little finger gun saying, I totally got you. No, you totally didn't. I was hiding behind the rock. Yeah, but I shot over the rock. D&D &D is the thing that takes care of that dispute. Wow. Like the rule takes that's, care of that. That's dispute. actually very interesting because I did play, what do we call it? Right. Army, gun, whatever you want to call the game. But that you're right. Somebody would be like, no, 
I shot you first, or I, yeah. I ducked. Like, you can't duck a bullet, dude. You know? I have a force field. That, okay, now we're in a whole different thing. And D&D was the way of, all right, I'm the adult in the room, so to speak, and these are the rules we've decided to play under. And when you say, I shot you, we have a chart or a table or a die roll that will determine what happened. Wow. So it takes that argument you know, out of it. This, so this is that's just the best way to explain it. This has just hit me. But when I was in the army, we would have these war games, and we right. would wear these Miles gear, which is a, a, a laser sensor, mm. and then we would shoot blanks. And what would happen is, if you got shot, the laser hit you, and it, you can't turn off. There's a ref that come came by, and he'd turn off your Miles gear, and then you had a card that you had to take out that said what was wrong with you. Oh, and there then, you go. Like if I got shot in the arm, the medic had to practice, you know. Doing. It's that's very similar pretty to pretty darn close. Yeah. No, it, it just, I didn't realize that that's how it Now worked. take that and add to it, well, I don't want to fight in this war at all. I, like throw that in. I could be a pacifist in this And the war, the war games has a cover for that. Like, oh, you, you want to you wanna go be a conscientious objector? Okay, take this card, go over there. Oh, but yeah, you know what? I actually drank too much the night before, so I'm really hungover. Okay, here's your hungover wow. status. It's a headband you have to wear. I mean, I'm being silly, but D&D's got it covered. How long like, does an average game go? Do you mean like a session? Because uh, session both. and game are Okay, different. so how long is a session? The gaming group I do right now, we play five-hour sessions. Five hours. And that, does it feel like five hours, or are you really into it to where it just floats I by? would hope my players would say no, but it would say it feels much faster. Um not really. It goes fairly rapidly. I can imagine. It right. And then how many you, you session once a week or once I have, a month? We're, right now we, we move to a biweekly just because our lives are busy. But you could do weekly. Some You could do more often, but you got to have a pretty empty life, dedicate you know, five hours multiple I'm sure there's the, – the funny thing is I'm sure there's people out there that there do this daily probably. Yeah. And uh, Zoom and stuff has helped tremendously. Oh, yeah. Although – there is there is nothing that can replace being in the same room. I would imagine that's the thing. That's hard to beat. That would be really cool. Yeah, there's a lot of electronic supplements that will try and duplicate what it's like to all sit at the same. So table. how many? How long is a game then? Would you say six months? A campaign could yeah, it could be months. Wow. I happen to be running a very very long one. We're in the third year of it. I'm sorry, what? Third year. Three third year. Okay, yeah, so it could be years time. there apparently. And it's just narrative arcs and just here's the story and you're, you're trying. How to does a game this. end? Like, how do I win this game? Does it there's does somebody a, win or does it just end or is the story completed? Uh, yeah, you could argue there's a win the same way that not the same way you win at poker. Okay. Like you just count your chips and I have more than you. So I win. You win the same way you would, might win at improv. Like you win because collectively the troop told a good story. And we all enjoyed ourselves doing it. And that might mean your character dies. That might be good if it's a heroic death. And you know what? I'm sad that he's dead, but that we was the saved right way everybody. to go. That was the way to go out or whatever. Um, but usually the win is whatever narrative challenge the referee, the DM has set up, the party succeeds at it through difficulty and trials and good play and good thinking and maybe some luck. They succeed in what they're setting out to do. I got to tell you, for for going, I know you and I have chatted a bit about this, but I I think I'm on board with trying this. Like, I I think think this sounds this sounds very interesting, and it would 
definitely I, fuel the idea of creativity. I think it sounds really cool. I think everybody should try it on both sides. Everybody should be a player at some point just to learn what it is to be someone else. Yeah. I mean, when else do you get to do this? Maybe acting. But, but you got to go out of your way for even that. Even acting, you're on a script. That's true. You're someone else that somebody other writer has decided to be. And everyone should be a game master at some point to sort of think about both, here's how I want this to go, but I also, my players affect it. Now, we might get some pushback on this, but being that you and I are both teachers, should we start a class? <laughs> just <laughs> well, we're going to get what's-her-name soon enough. So. Just to point out. Well, that's what I wanted to hang the thing on. I mean, the idea the principal ran a D&D game for his students Right now in our atmosphere, to me, that is so alien to what I can even begin to imagine. Right, can you imagine that? No way. I can't. No way. Not because our current principal isn't like that, just because I can't. There are so many red flags that pop up with that. They shouldn't, but they do. Right. If we heard about that in our community, so-and-so principals running a D&D game for their kids, we would have this panic all over again in a second, in a heartbeat. And that's kind of sad. No, it is. But you're welcome to join our table. Matter of fact, any listener out there. If you want to join in, we're always looking for new players to you know add to the narrative and add a new a new wrinkle into the the storyline that we've got going. Well, I definitely have learned that this is not a satanic thing. It's not. it's nerdy, but in a cool nerd sort of like I played video games for hours, so I can't condemn anyone else for doing something else that's creative for an there hour. There are celebrities now. It's become really mainstream. Oh, Vince, Vince Vaughn is a, Vince is Vaughn. a D&D you player. You Favreau, uh, Vin Diesel. There's a non-nerdy fellow. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's Jack who I meant. Black. I said Vince Vaughn. I meant Vin Diesel. Ter- well, both of them. Vince Vaughn also. Is Terry Crews. I thought I would care that. Terry Crews, pretty non-nerdy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Say. Absolutely. Uh nehisi Coates, anti-racist writer. Hmm. So we're, we're spanning a lot of We've got Anderson we- Cooper. Really? Yes, CNN correspondent, uh, Stephen Colbert. I could see, I could see that. Yeah, he's done it on, he's done it on TV. Really? He's done it on his show. Um, and now there's streaming services. There's, you can watch streams the same way you, you sometimes watch people on YouTube play video games. You can watch people play D and D, and they they do it up. You talked about voices and dressing. Yeah, they do it up. Wow. And that's what they do. They they stream themselves playing D and D. The most popular one's called Critical Role. It's been going on for years. They segued into an animated series. So they've made... They've done a, well they've for themselves. They've made a profession out of it. And they all still live at home, yes? I, I, I don't know. That was In a basement. Yeah. <laughs> showering is like a monthly affair. A lot of Doritos and Mountain Dew. Right. Yes. Absolutely. There's no shortage of, of tropes that go with Yes. There'll be Cheeto, Cheeto dust all over the place. Dust. Yes. <laughs> Oh, well, I, Coach, I want to thank you. That was very educational. I hope our listeners enjoyed it. And please join us next time. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Latchkey Files. If you'd like to experience more from us, you can find Sean O'Brien's science fiction books on Amazon, Nook, Audible, and most other book and audiobook retailers. You can also go to his website at seanobrienauthor.com. And if you're looking to get in better shape, both physically and mentally, check out Chris Varner's lifestyle and fitness YouTube channel called Just a Dad Bod.